Welcome to the Valley Point Podcast. Valley Point Church is a faith community located in Glen Mills, Pennsylvania. Our mission is pointing people to real relationships and real significance. This week continues our series, The Story. Enjoy and thanks for listening. We are in week 17 of the story, and if you have a Bible or a device, I want you to find 2 Kings chapter 25. You can also scan the QR code in your program, and that will bring up all of the notes and all of the scripture that we're going to use today. And I would encourage you to follow along as we walk through this. So 2 Kings chapter 25, that's our paragraph today, but we're also going to spend some time in Jeremiah chapter 38. So I'm going to introduce a new king to you today, as well as a new prophet. Last week, we talked about Hezekiah, and he was a king of Judah, and he was a good king. And he had Isaiah the prophet speaking to him. And God used Isaiah to give words of wisdom to the king and to the people. Today, I'm going to introduce you to Zedekiah, a new king, as well as Jeremiah the prophet. So we're going to hang out in 2 Kings chapter 25. That is the last chapter in the book of 2 Kings. So we're kind of wrapping some things up with this unique time in Israel's history. Here's the upper story statement for today. This is the big idea of what God is doing and what God is up to, and that is God wants us to turn to him. That's what God wants for you And for me, it's what he wanted for his special people. He desperately wanted them to turn to him. Now, that sounds like a simple statement, yet there's a lot that happens within that. And we're going to have some fun unpacking this story today and discovering how God does indeed wants us. That's what he wants. He wants us to turn to him. And here's the good news. God is so patient And he extends grace to us, giving us time to turn to him. So God wants us to turn to him. Now, quick review here. We're in the heart of the story of God's special people, the nation of Israel, and God called them specifically and blessed them and said, it is through you, the nation of Israel, that I'm going to show my love and compassion to the world. That's how I'm going to do it. And so he chose them as a special nation, bless them through you. I'm going to bless the world and show the world that I care about them and love them. Well, in their progression as a nation and in their growth, they came before God and said, you know what? We want to be like all the nations around us. And there's something that they have in common that we think we need and would benefit us. And that is we want a monarchy. We want a king. They probably shook their fists a little bit like that. We want a monarchy. We want a king. That's what we want. Because we want to be like everybody around us. We want a monarchy. We want a king. Well, God didn't want that for them specifically at that time, but they kept coming before him, and this is what we want. This is what we need. We want to be like everybody else. And so God acquiesced and allowed them to establish a monarchy. Their very first king was a guy named Saul. Saul looked like a king, he talked like a king, he smelled like a king, but he really didn't have a heart for being obedient to God. As a matter of fact, what we find over and over again in the story is that he kind of obeyed. Half 
of the time and half of the way. And God said, you know, that's not good enough. If you're going to be my king over my special people through whom I'm going to show my love to the world, I need you to be obedient all of the time. I need you to be setting that kind of example. And so God came to Saul and said, I'm going to take the throne and the kingdom away from you, and I'm going to give it to somebody else. And that is indeed what happened. God raised up another king. His name was David. Scripture tells us something interesting about David. It tells us this. David had a heart for obeying God. A great line. Because what if that were said about you? And what if that were said about me? That one of the characteristics were that they just had a heart for God. Well, that was David. And God really blessed him and his leadership. In time, David passed and his son Solomon became king. One of the things we know about Solomon is he's one of the wisest men outside of Jesus Christ himself who ever lived. And the borders were expanded during his time. The economy was great. Israel was just a powerhouse in the world. And world leaders came to Jerusalem to view the extreme wealth of Solomon. Nobody had more than him. And they also came not just to see his wealth, but they wanted to hear his words of wisdom. He was just so wise, like no one else in the world. So things are going great. People love their country. Again, the economy is wonderful. Borders are expanding. People are really excited about what's happening, except for the fact that Solomon had a little problem. His heart became divided And he allowed people to begin worshiping other gods, small g. And he even allowed them to bring in their different idols as a way to express that. And so instead of leading his people to worship the one true God of Israel, capital G, which is what God asked for and what God wanted, he allowed all of these other gods to enter the land and things were beginning to unravel. God was not happy with him. Well, after Solomon passes, his son becomes king, and the nation is divided. There is a civil war of sorts because one group wasn't going to follow Solomon's son because they thought he was a cracked-up nutcase, and he probably was, and they're like, we don't want to have any part of that. And so there's a civil war. There becomes a northern kingdom known as Israel, And then the southern kingdom known as Judah. The nation is split. Not part of God's design. Not what he wanted. They once were a thriving, powerful nation, united. But all of these different things began to happen. Kings came in and led the people in doing things that God didn't want for them. And so the nation divides. Instead of being one strong nation, they're now two smaller, weaker nations. And in time, what we discovered last week, is that the northern kingdom of Israel, God just couldn't handle it anymore. And so he brought in a foreign power. They were known as the Assyrians. And they came in and invaded the northern kingdom and deported all of the people back to Assyria. So in 722 BC, the nation of Israel is gone, no longer exists. All that's left is the small little nation 
of Judah. And it's interesting because it's through them, this smaller, weaker nation, that God has to show his love to the world. Looks like things are getting a little difficult and challenging for God to pull off his ultimate purposes. And one would think, or at least this is how I think, that the southern kingdom would watch what happened to their neighbors to the north, who they knew, and they were able to observe what was going on, and that they would watch all of this and say, you know what, we don't want to be deported. That sounds like a really bad day. And I like my house, and I like my job, I like my family, I like my country. Let's keep it all together. And I have an idea of how we can do that. We do that by just being obedient to God. And the northern kingdom, they just didn't do that. Let's be the opposite of them. You'd think that's what they would say. But no, instead, they're like, whatever. And they thumbed their nose at God. And they continued to sin in very creative ways while ignoring the prophets that God sent to them to alert them, you might want to change Remember what happened to your friends up north? That can happen to you if you don't make a course adjustment. You have the opportunity to do that. But again, they pretty much said, no, we're going to do what we want to do. Now, that brings us to 2 Kings chapter 25, the last chapter in this great book. And here's what I want to do today. I want to talk about King Zedekiah, and then I want to talk about the prophet Jeremiah. They lived at the same time. God used Jeremiah to give words of wisdom to King Zedekiah. So we're going to talk about the king, and then we're going to talk about Jeremiah. Before we talk, though, about King Zedekiah, I want to talk about some other kings. And you can actually view this here. We ended last week talking about Hezekiah. Hezekiah was a good king. God protected him. And again, he blessed the nation as a result of his leadership and his willingness to guide the people into full obedience to God. They were being very compliant. But if you notice, there are a couple of bad kings after him. Then there's Josiah, the outlier. He became king when he was really young. And he cleaned up the temple, and they actually found scrolls. They found the word of God. And he said, you know what? Maybe it's a good idea that we read this. And so he brought in a priest, and they read that, and boy, lives were changed. And that's why he was considered a good king, because he led the people to respond to the greatness of God as revealed in his word. But you can see here, after that, we have four bozos, really. We've got four kings who lead the people in not being very compliant with God at all, and it ends with Zedekiah. Now, the reason that he is the last king mentioned is because something terrible is about to happen to the southern kingdom. So let's read about this in 2 Kings chapter 25. It says this, So on January 15th, during the ninth year of Zedekiah's reign, King Nebuchadnezzar of Babylon led his entire army against Jerusalem. They surrounded the city and built siege ramps against the walls. Jerusalem was kept under siege until the 11th year of King Zedekiah's reign. Now we have a new world power. It's the Babylonians. Last week we talked about the Assyrians. They came in and invaded the northern country. 
And then we discovered that the king of Assyria, his name was Sennacherib, he actually came into the southern kingdom and surrounded Jerusalem. And what we read last week under King Hezekiah is that he boldly prayed, God rescue us. And God sent an angel and wiped out a large portion of the Assyrian army. And King Sennacherib said, that's an angry angel. I don't want to deal with him anymore. We are picking up our troops and we're going back to Assyria. I don't need this. Well, now we have a new world power on the scene. It's King Nebuchadnezzar and the Babylonians, and they're hungry and thirsty for more territory. They want to conquer. And so they now have surrounded Jerusalem once again. Verse 3. By July 18th, in the 11th year of Zedekiah's reign, so two and a half years later, the famine in the city had become very severe, and the last of the food was entirely gone. Then a section of the city wall was broken down. Since the city was surrounded by the Babylonians, the soldiers waited for nightfall and escaped through the gate between the two walls behind the king's garden. Then they headed toward the Jordan Valley. But the Babylonian troops chased the king and overtook him on the plains of Jericho, for his men had all deserted him and scattered. They captured the king and took him to the king of Babylon at Riblah, where they pronounced judgment upon Zedekiah. They made Zedekiah watch as they slaughtered his sons. Then they gouged out Zedekiah's eyes, bound him in bronze chains, and led him away to Babylon. On August 14th of that year, which was the 19th year of King Nebuchadnezzar's reign, Nebuchadnezzar, the captain of the guard and an official of the Babylonian king, arrived in Jerusalem. He's back. And here's what he did. He burned down the temple of the Lord. Now, I want to pause there for a moment because it's very easy to look at that and kind of read what happens next, which is probably what you're doing now. But the significance of the temple being destroyed cannot be overlooked. This is a really sad day in Jerusalem. The temple's a big deal. The temple was built so that people could say, that's where God lives, and that's where God dwells. And with the temple here, we know that the presence of God is with us. That was their real home. And it was very important to them. The presence of God is signified in the temple. And so here comes the Babylonians, and they burned down the temple of the Lord. Here's what else they did. They burned down the royal palace and all the houses of Jerusalem. He destroyed all the important buildings in the city. Then he supervised the entire Babylonian army as they tore down the walls of Jerusalem on every side. So the temple's gone, the palace is gone, the buildings are gone, and now the walls are gone. It's a mess. Jerusalem's toast. Verse 26. Then all the people of Judah, from the least to the greatest, as well as the army commanders, fled in panic to Egypt for they were afraid of what the Babylonians would do to them. And the southern kingdom, just like that, is gone. This all happened in 586 B.C. What's interesting about that date, when you compare it to when the northern kingdom was deported, is that there were 136 years where God patiently waited for the southern kingdom to turn to him and to honor him. God gave them opportunity after opportunity, prophet after prophet, word after word to say, don't be like the northern kingdom. 
Like that doesn't have to happen to you. You can turn to me. You can change. You can clean up your ways. And they had spots where that happened, but ultimately the Babylonians invade. And in 586, the southern kingdom is gone. But it is still a display of the patience of God. But it reached a point where dramatic action was needed. And so God brought in another foreign power to cause his people to look up and to turn to him. Now, honestly... When you read this, it kind of looks like the story is in trouble. Doesn't like, things are just unraveling here. Like last week was kind of depressing, the northern kingdom being deported, and this week's kind of depressing because now there's no more southern kingdom. And if you remember, God said, I will send a rescuer. He promised that way back in Genesis. How does God do that, though, if there is no nation? If there is no country, how does God pull this off? Because now Jerusalem is in chaos. All the wealthy people, the artisans, the merchants would have been deported to Babylon. That's what they did because they wanted them there. And when these foreign nations would invade, they would leave the sick and the poorest of the poor in the rubble to fight off decay and disease and violence. And that's what has happened to Jerusalem, the once proud city is absolutely destroyed. And one might look at all of this and say, God is mean. God is mean. Like this is not necessary. But one of the things that we cannot lose sight of in the story is the extreme patience of God giving us opportunity after opportunity and chance after chance to right-size our lives and to align our lower story with his upper story that cannot be overlooked. And so I want to talk a little bit about Jeremiah now because that's what Jeremiah does for Zedekiah. Before all of this happens, Zedekiah and Jeremiah have a conversation where Jeremiah tells him, you can avoid all of this, like you can miss out on having your eyes poked out and being deported and everything else that happened here, you can avoid that stuff if you simply do what God asks of you. So I want to talk through that. But before we do that, I think it's important to know a couple of things about Jeremiah. Like his call. He is just a very unique prophet of God. And we see his call right away in Jeremiah chapter 1, verse 4 says, The Lord gave me, Jeremiah, this message. And here's what the Lord said. Jeremiah, I knew you before I formed you in your mother's womb. Before you were born, I set you apart and appointed you as my prophet to the nation. Some really strong words here about how God knew Jeremiah before he existed and said, I have a specific call and plan on your life. There is something that I want specifically for you to do, Jeremiah. We also get a clear sense here of God's view of the unborn as well, which is very interesting. Well, here's what else we need to know about Jeremiah. He he was unpopular. Nobody liked him. Because he came and said, you need to change, you need to repent, you're a sinner, 
And if you adjust your life, this can happen. If you don't, here's the result. And people really didn't like hearing that from him. So he was incredibly unpopular. He is known as the weeping prophet, actually. And the reason he's known as the weeping prophet is because he cried over the sins of his people. He cried over the destruction of his city. When anybody saw Jeremiah, he was always weeping and crying. And what's wrong with that guy? He's really upset and he's giving us bad news. We don't like Jeremiah. He's just a weeper. Put him over there in the corner and perhaps we can ignore him a little bit longer. Uh, Here's something else about Jeremiah. He really had no success. Like throughout his life, no success. Maybe that's why I cried a lot. Like, nothing is going well for me. One scholar said it this way, Jeremiah was one of the most unsuccessful servants of God in all the annals of history. Nothing that he preached was accepted. Like nothing. Can you imagine if God came to you and said, look, I have a very specific job for you. I've called you for this. And here's what I want you to do. And no one will like you, and you will never be successful. Well, not like even once. Not even a little bit. You you just will never be successful. I don't think any of us are going to sign up for that, because that sounds like a terrible life, which is pretty much what Jeremiah lived. And again, this is why he's known as the weeping prophet. Even Michelangelo, the artist, has a painting in the Sistine Chapel depicting a very melancholy Jeremiah. Again, no success Nobody liked the guy. Nobody listened to him. He was always weeping because nobody ever paid attention to what he had to say. But yet, he's a remarkable prophet of God. There's a whole book that describes him and what he said and what he did. A tremendous servant. Here's just one example of something that happened to Jeremiah. In chapter 38, which we'll read in just a second... People got so tired of Jeremiah that some of the palace officials took him and they threw him in a well, which a well back then was kind of a severe thing. And they just threw him down there hoping that he would die and he would never come back and never talk to them again. Well, there was another palace official that kind of felt bad for him and thought that was a little harsh. And so he went and rescued Jeremiah from the well. That's just one example of something that happened to this prophet who had no success but yet was faithful in doing exactly what God called him to do. That's Jeremiah. In chapter 38, after the whole throwing in the well incident and Jeremiah comes out, we have a remarkable exchange between Jeremiah and Zedekiah the king. And again, this is before Nebuchadnezzar captures him. So again, here's the warning of God. The clear call. Change direction. Adjust. God giving Zedekiah a terrible king, yet another opportunity to make things right. And so here's this exchange. One day, verse 14, King Zedekiah sent for Jeremiah and had him brought to the third entrance of the Lord's temple. I want to ask you something, the king said, and don't try to hide the truth. Jeremiah said, if I tell you the truth, you will kill me. And if I give you advice, you won't listen to me anyway. That's funny. That's like, what am I doing here? You're either going to kill me or you're not going to pay attention to me. This is all a waste of time. Verse 16. So King Zedekiah secretly promised him, as surely as the Lord our creator lives, 
It's funny that he did it in secret, but yeah, that's the way it worked. As surely as the Lord our creator lives, I will not kill you or hand you over to the men who want you dead. Then Jeremiah said to Zedekiah, this is what the Lord God of heaven's armies, the God of Israel says. If you surrender to the Babylonian officers. So here's the call of God. Here's what I want you to do. And if you surrender to the Babylonian officers, you and your family will live. Well, life is kind of valuable, isn't it? (laughs) This sounds like a good deal. All right, so if I surrender, my family will live. And get this, the city will not be burned down. This is a little speculation here, but I would like to think that Zedekiah knew a little bit of the value of the temple and the presence of God. And even if he didn't appreciate that, there were a lot of people who probably did, like Jeremiah some others. And so the fact that Jeremiah is saying through God, if you just surrender, you get to live and your family get to keep your eyes And the city will not be burned, meaning the temple will still be there. Like, I'd like to think Zedekiah thought about that, but probably not, perhaps. In addition to your family living and the city not being burned down, here's what else begins to happen. Verse 18, but, and here's the consequence, if you you refuse to surrender, you will not escape. The city will be handed over to the Babylonians and they will burn it to the ground. Again, God speaking through the prophet, giving Zedekiah yet another opportunity and another chance to surrender, to clean up his life, and to say, I can choose life, and the city of Jerusalem remains in existence. Instead, what we've already read in 2 Kings 25, Zedekiah says, no, I think I'm going to try and escape and I'm going to turn my back on God and the once thriving city of Jerusalem is absolutely destroyed. That's King Zedekiah and the prophet Jeremiah and the end of the southern kingdom. Kind of depressing, isn't it? Even last week's kind of depressing with the departure of the northern kingdom. And again, it looks like The story is kind of in trouble. But yet what we're going to discover in the weeks to come is that the story is very much alive and God is aware of how a rescuer is desperately needed. And he hasn't lost track of that. It's very good news. So Zedekiah, Hezekiah, Isaiah, Jeremiah, what do we do with all of this stuff? These kings and these prophets, what do we do with this information and this content? How do we use this in our stories? Well, I want to break this down today by sharing four application points, and I just want you to think about where you are and what God might want for you. Keeping in mind the upper story statement, God wants us to turn to him. And so we're going to get a little prophetic today, and we're going to use the example of what they said to kings and people who were erring, to hopefully do this, align our stories with the grand upper story of God. So here's thought number one. If you're playing with sin, stop. Allow me to be the voice of a prophet today and just plead with you. If you're playing with sin, stop. Stop. 
One of the things we know about God is He is very, very patient with us. And He is extremely merciful. God even says, if you confess, I will be faithful and just. God is just. And I will forgive you and cleanse you from all unrighteousness. But there comes a point when God can no longer turn his back on us walking away from him and refusing his clear directives in our lives. And so if you are playing with sin, the challenge is to stop. If you have been flying recklessly, use this time and use this call today to look within and to take a grander look at the extended arms, the strong arms of Jesus who welcomes us back all of the time and wants us to do that today. So perhaps today is just a day of confession for you and inviting God into all of the dark places of your life so that he can sweep that clean and you can begin the process of aligning your life with his. If you are playing with sin, please... Please stop. And it's good to know. God's waiting for us. He's waiting for us. And maybe today is that call for you to say, I'm going to do what Jeremiah would want me to do, and I will turn. Secondly, if you have something in your life competing with God, remove it. Don't manage it. It never works. Just remove it. And the reason we need to do that is because God wants and deserves to be first in our lives. And whenever we allow other things to take the place of God, we're going to find ourselves in trouble. And he won't stand for that. And so if you have other things competing for your loyalty and your love for God, remove them. That's the only way. And let's put God in the driver's seat of our lives where he deserves fully to be. Thirdly, if you have someone speaking truth into your life and it's starting to annoy you, don't intellectually throw them into a well. Right? I hope you have someone speaking truth into your life. And hopefully once in a while they begin to poke and it's annoying. And often what we do is what King Zedekiah would do is let's just take that person and throw them in a well and hopefully all of that information will go away. You know what? God may very well be using that individual who is annoying you right now to point out things in your life that you might not even be able to see that you need to adjust and come clean with before God. And so these people that are poking, and if they're starting to annoy you, do not throw them in a well. Again, they might be the voice of God. It might be a prophet for you encouraging you to turn and to look up to God. Pay attention to that, especially if it's annoying. Pay attention to that, and don't consider it to be too invasive or too nosy. Invite that in because it's a good thing. And then finally, actively listen to God. Actively, actively listen to God. And so here are some questions that I think can help us think through whether we're actively listening to God. How's your God time? How's your church time? How's your chair time? Your chair being the time where you get to be alone with God, hearing 
what he is saying to you. If those things are all on the increase, you're probably actively listening to God. But if you're struggling in any of those areas, you might want to right-size that situation. How is my God time? How is my church time? And how is my chair time? Am I actively listening to God? Because here's the deal. God is constantly speaking. Constantly. He really is. He might not be speaking through a prophet to us like Jeremiah or Isaiah, but God speaks to us through his word. He does speak to us through individuals. Our problem is we're so busy running around and going crazy that we don't take time to just pause and invite God and people to point stuff out to us so that, again, we can align our lower story with the upper story of God. The good news is, when we do that, God says, I am faithful and I am just and I will forgive and cleanse and clean you up from absolutely everything. So let's listen to the prophets. Let's listen to their voices and their calls for change and their calls for repentance. And let's use today, all of us, to make sure that we're doing exactly what God wants us to do and we are fully compliant. This is so incredibly valuable for us right now. It's unique that we find ourselves in this passage today as we embark on a very important week and a very important meeting on Tuesday. I think it's valuable for all of us to consider, am I right with God as we take this spiritual journey together? And we do all of this because God wants us to turn to him. That should make you smile. That should make your heart beat fast that God wants that for us. God wants us to turn to him, so let's turn to him today and do everything we can to make sure that we're compliant and fully obedient. God, we're thankful for the voice of the prophets and for their incredible words to us and how direct it is. Sometimes that's painful and we don't like the sound of that, but it's stuff we need to hear. God, help us to assimilate this and be so ready and willing to take the voice and the challenges that we find here and to use them in our lives today. God, I pray that you'd help each and every one of us, even in this moment now and as we respond to you in a moment, to really consider, is there an area where I need to confess something to God or do I just need to invite him to come into all of the spaces in my life and to point out things or do I need to pay attention to that voice that has been speaking truth to me but I've been pushing them away and perhaps into a well. God, I just pray that you'd help us to appropriately respond to you right now and take these voices from the prophets and the example of the northern kingdom and the southern kingdom to heed the warnings that are found here to make sure that we're properly aligned with you. Pray all of this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for listening. We'd also love to have you join us on any Sunday morning as well at the Garnet Valley Middle School at 9.15 or 11 a.m.